Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. This is a distinct moment because a, a sitting prime minister has never become president before. In this moment of crisis, it seems like Mario Draghi is, is providing their own solution. And that's, I mean, not a great thing for the state of politics because Draghi won't be here forever. I'm Annie Reese. This is Politico Dispatch. And I'm talking with Hannah Roberts, Politico Europe's Rome correspondent, about Italy's succession drama. Well, you might say that Italy's addicted to Mario Draghi. Italy's current prime minister. They, they want him for prime minister for another year to finish what he started in Italy. But they also need a president for the next seven years, and he would be a great president and a good thing for Italy's credibility abroad. The problem, you can't be both president and prime minister. Those are two mutually exclusive jobs. This is the conundrum. So today, Mario Draghi and where he fits into Italy's consequential next election for president. So can you take me back to Mario Draghi's ascent? Why was he tapped to become emergency prime minister last year? Um, Draghi had retired as the head of the European Central Bank two years ago. Last February, the government was really getting into trouble. Lots of infighting about uh, how to spend the post-pandemic economic recovery fund, which had been given to Italy by the EU. And Italy got the most out of any European country, 200 billion euros. Uh, And immediately all the parties who were in the government Uh, started squabbling about it, Uh, and the government fell apart. Italy has been facing a political crisis since its coalition government collapsed last week. Great tension because we were still in the middle of the pandemic. And Italy had been really hard hit in the first few months. Exactly. Italy had been the hardest hit country. Uh, It had the longest, harshest lockdown at the very beginning. And at this point, last year, the EU had just agreed on this recovery fund. And with the government collapsing... It seemed like a disaster because Italy was going to miss out on this opportunity to not just recover from the pandemic, but to recover from really two decades Mm. of economic recession. And so it's in that climate that he's then appointed by the current president and he's immediately successful. Yeah, in that climate. Step forward, Mario Draghi. He would his name had been going around for a few months as almost a like idealized figure, like who would be the best person to to lead Italy in a crisis, uh, who's got the most credibility abroad, who could really get us out of this hole. And the simplicity of the Italian system is that the president can kind of appoint anyone as prime minister if he's got the support of the parties. He doesn't need to be a party leader or even a politician in parliament. Anyone who, who can command a majority in parliament can be prime minister. So that's where Draghi came in. Mm. You asked if he was a success instantly. I mean, his, the thing about Draghi is that he's all about the Draghi brand. He just gives off reassurance because of his experience, because he uh, was um, known for having saved the euro by uttering... These three words. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. To preserve the euro. And so, really, rather than anything he immediately did, Draghi had this aura of reassurance. And believe me, it will be enough. His main priorities when he came in as uh, prime minister 
was to sort out the vaccination campaign, which was going extremely slowly, mm. and to make sure that this post-pandemic economic recovery plan got the approval of the EU to make sure that Italy got these 200 billion euros that they were promised. Mm. So Draghi immediately ditched the previous leader of the vaccination campaign, put in an army general, and from that moment on, the vaccine campaign improved and has been a, good, a great success in Italy. It's close to 90% of over 12-year-olds. Wow. And the economic plan was approved very smoothly by the EU as well. And you wrote in your piece that I think Mario Draghi right now has something like 65% approval ratings, which is something that Joe Biden dreams about at night, I can only imagine. Right. How unusual is it in Italy to have that level of public consensus around a prime minister? In general, it is extremely unusual. 65% is high and Draghi's was even higher. But the previous prime minister before Draghi, Conte, was actually pretty popular as well. Not that things were going so well under him, but he was a great communicator and he provided, for a time, a sense of stability during the crisis. He um, was on TV very often during the coronavirus, explaining to people why the restrictions had to come in and uh, provided a sympathetic face. So Conte was actually pretty popular as well before he was deposed by one of his coalition partners. And can you outline this dilemma that in some ways Draghi is the clear favorite to become president, but then there are fears that he's better suited to the role of prime minister right now? The dilemma is that Draghi has to some extent done what he came in to do. He's sorted out the vaccination campaign and he has put in place a lot of the reforms that the European Union was asking for. Mm -hmm. So the EU was demanding quite a lot of structural reforms of Italy in return for uh, all these loans and grants. So Draghi has made some significant progress. But with Omicron, Mm. the new variant, it's a bit of a game changer. It now seems like Italy will need another vaccination campaign. They've just today started vaccinating children, which is going to be quite controversial. And the reforms, while they've been approved by the parliament, they still have to be implemented, and that can be quite tricky. So even though Draghi is wanted by the majority of Italians and the parties could agree on him, He might be leaving at a bit of a difficult time if he were to become president in in February. Yeah, you mentioned that as president, he could create a power vacuum at a risky moment socially. Absolutely. So if Draghi becomes president, it could give Italy a lot of stability for the next seven years because he would have that power to um, uh, some leeway in appointing the prime minister. Even if the the right get in, he could make sure that Italy stays on a pro-Europe pro-Atlantic stance and so many people see that as a good thing but if he stays as prime minister he would be able to finish what he started in terms of the vaccination campaign and make sure that Italy sticks with the reform program that the EU is demanding. Mm, Interesting is it too reductive to say that like if you were to be become president that's a more outward facing position you know so it's establishing credibility on the world stage or continuity, whereas prime minister is more internally focused in terms of, you know, helping fix the coronavirus crisis in Italy? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the president of Italy is the head of state, but it's very different from the US president. It is 
mostly a ceremonial role, but at the times when the government is being appointed, he does have these extraordinary powers. So it would guarantee the continuity of Italy being pro-Europe and pro-US, pro-NATO for the next seven years. Or alternatively, we have Italy uh, dragging in a much more executive role as prime minister, hands-on and able to really do things, but uh, only for um, another year until the, the end of the legislature, because there will be elections anyway for parliament in 2023. So these are pretty high stakes. Yeah. One reason why this is high stakes right now is that Italy's really been on a roll. I mean, apart from winning the, the soccer in Europe, <laughs> which is a big deal for us, and the 100 metres in the Olympics, uh, the economy has, is really bouncing back from the pandemic. It's predicted to grow by 6% this year, better than other EU countries. Italy's been upgraded by Fitch. Production's up, exports way up. And so um, things have been going super well. But if Draghi were to become president, just at this moment when we have Omicron, there's potential risk of other lockdowns. The problem is that his successor, whoever that might be, and we're not sure it could be the Minister for the Economy or the Minister for Justice, wouldn't have the same kudos, the draggy factor, mm. that has been keeping these very disparate parties together for the, the past year quite successfully. And so it, the risk is that the, the government would not last if Draghi goes to become president. Mm. And that would be coming at a moment when uh, Italy should really be taking advantage of the kind of power vacuum in Europe. Macron is busy with the French elections. Angela Merkel is retired. This is Italy's moment to be a strong power in Europe. Mm. It would be a pity to walk away from that now. Wow. So the next month is going to be a lot of wait and see. Exactly. And it's very uncertain because it's a secret ballot. So even if the party leaders make it clear that they would all bat Draghi or another candidate, um, perhaps the existing president could stay on for another term, although it seems like he doesn't want to. Uh, even if the party leaders do agree, the backbenchers, as we call them in uh, in English, in UK English, <laughs> right. they, they very well may not obey the party leaders. They may rebel. You said in the piece that Romans are fond of saying, he who goes into the concave of Pope leaves a cardinal. What does that mean? Well, in many ways, this um, the election of a president in Italy is a bit like a papal conclave in that there's this secret ballot, the whole negotiations for it are very opaque, and the outcome is extremely unpredictable. And so the, the favourite, who when you're going into the, the conclave, very rarely comes out as the Pope, and that's the same with presidents. So the favourite going in as a Pope it normally comes out a, a cardinal, and the, the winner is some unexpected name that no one had been thinking about very much beforehand. Hannah Roberts, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks. Also today, as epidemiologists predict another winter COVID surge, the United States reached another grim milestone. The coronavirus has now killed more than 800,000 people in the U.S., which is more deaths than any other country has reported. And... On a still related to the pandemic but slightly lighter note, there is a cream cheese shortage. 
Kraft Heinz, the company that owns the Philadelphia cream cheese brand, is offering to reimburse thousands of holiday shoppers $20 each for desserts they bake or buy that don't contain any cream cheese. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Be sure to follow Politico Dispatch if you haven't yet, and if you can, leave us a rating and review. It helps more people find the show. Our senior editor is Raghu Manavalan, and our executive producer is Jenny Ament. We'll be back next week with a few episodes rounding up the most notable pieces of big news in health, education, and politics from this year. I'm Annie Reese. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>